Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lechtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about the internet and hashkafa and halacha. Well, the internet has been around for so long. Why am I bringing this up now? They say that if you take a frog and you put it in hot water, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in cold water on the fire and slowly raise the temperature, the frog will cook to death. It's the gradual that makes us sort of not react to it. And the internet is really very dangerous. How dangerous? I think it's like having a loaded gun. Listen to what Rabbi Aaron Lapian, Rashiv Merchisral, and Leif Aryeh right, told us about the internet. 80% of American boys were nichshal somewhere along the line with pornography. Just I'm talking about in the yeshiva circle. But you're asking me from my experience, and I work with this day in, day out. 80% of the So we're going to see two different views here. We're going to have Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from Boca Raton. He runs maybe the third largest shul, one of the top three largest shuls in America. He's a mechanach. He speaks all over. And he's going to say, the internet is ubiquitous. We have to learn how to deal with it. I'll tell you this, and, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly, and maybe you've had the same experience if you've been to Reb Chaim, the Sar HaTorah. There's a sign hanging when you go into Reb Chaim's apartment in Bnei Brak, And it says, Smartphones are also, and they're also to bring into the apartment. And then you get a bracha from Reb Chaim, and a moment later you get a WhatsApp picture from members of Reb Chaim's family of you getting the bracha on WhatsApp from their smartphone to your smartphone. So just explain to me. Explain to me the reality. There's a sign in the apartment of the Saratora, the double Hador, that says it's also, no don't bring it into the apartment. And then Gufa, the direct members of the family who are running the whole Chatzar, send you a picture getting a bracha from their smartphone to yours on the very app which has been answered using the very internet which denies you a chelik in Olam Haba. And on the other side of the spectrum, we're going to have Ram Gottlieb of TAG, who has 50 offices, and they're basically devoted, he's devoted his life to not allow the tumma of the internet into our houses, and with websites, and with filters, etc. We're going to have a machanach, or a penich platnik, who's going to talk about its effect on Bachram, and how to deal with it. And we will have Shimon Kolyakov of Torah Anytime, with, I think it's like 600 or 700 Rabbanim on it, and I think he said they have 800 thousand downloads a month that's a lot we get a hundred thousand he gets eight times as many i mean they have a lot more abundant it's, it's a lot so here we see the power of the internet really a very complex complicated uh, uh so i think it's let's not be the frog in the water who they t- slowly turned up the heat and just get used to it and take it as a given because again it's like having a loaded gun in your house and it's or in your pocket for that matter, and it's certainly worthy of spending the time to examine and re-examine what is probably the single largest change in the in the last twenty or thirty years, and it's the effect it's having on the kedusha and tara of a Jewish home. By the way, today the riddles that shall mention at the end of the opening, I actually had the uh, the Ger Rosh Hashiva, Reb Shol Alto, is here, and I was introduced to him. So, what does a Litvak do when he sees a rabbi? You talk to him in learning. So, I asked him two shilas. So, I'll ask those two questions, those two, thing when we do our riddles today. But before we go to it, I just want to mention we put up on our website. I had the great schus, the privilege of speaking at the Chabad Kinnas Hashluchim, and the first half of it was basically about the Hakaras and recognition that we have to give to Shluchim. I remember when I. It was in Eretz Yisrael. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz's last time he spoke in the base Medrash, he came in on Yom Kippur. He was already really very sick. Chaim was head of the Siyagadayla, the Gadol Adoyer in Eretz Yisrael, and, and he said a shmuz. He guess, you know, Chaim was, besides being a big guy, and he used to say shmuz, and, and the last shmuz, and everybody sort of thought it could be his last shmuz. What did he speak about? 
He didn't speak about what you would think of, Taira. He was the Sarah Taira. He didn't speak about Tefillah. He was the Avoida. He was the Balmusa of the generation. He spoke with his wife in the, the Rebetzin in the, in the Yezrus Nashim. The last Shmuz he spoke about was the Chiv HaKaras HaToiv that a person has to have to his wife. And the whole loyal was like, was, was in tears. So I wanted to, when I spoke to Bachabat, I spoke about the Karas HaToiv that Klal Yisrael owns them. And something particularly inspired me. The Leshem was Rab Shleim al Yashiv. He was the grandfather of Paisik of the whole world, Rab Shalom al Yashiv. And he weren't in all the great Litfishi yeshivas. And, but he wanted to learn Kabbalah. And he learned with some of the biggest. He learned with the Alta Kabbalah, Chavrusa. And he became what was in the Litha known as the big, they felt he was the biggest Mokobal in the world. So he worked for some 20 odd years on a Sefer, the Sefer HaLeshem, Leshem Shvayvach Lama. And it's, it's sold. It didn't seem. He, he printed 500 copies. Maybe it sold two or 300. I mean, if you open it up, it's like Bebir Oilam Hatayu. And then Bebir Ha'igulim, the, you know, stripes, Kavim Ve'igulim, stripes and de- dashes and circles. You can understand this didn't make a best, didn't make the best seller list. Well, he was the biggest Mokobal in, in the, the considered in the Litvisha world. So when Rav Kook wanted to learn Kabbalah, he came to the city of the Leshem and to learn by him for, for, for his man, not just some say four months, six months, nine months, whatever, he learned by him Kabbalah. So fast forward another 20 years later, the Leshem is turning 80, 79, and Rav Kook is the Rav Rashi in Eretz Yisrael. So he sends a letter to Rav Kook, could you please get a visa for me? My daughter, my son-in-law, my, my son, my daughter-in-law, and my grandson. The grandson was a nine years old, Shalom al Yashiv. And Rav Kook arranged for visas, and the Leshem came to Eretz Yisrael. He was 81. Now, during this time, somehow one of the 300 copies that had been sold made its way to the other side of the world, to Baghdad. Who lived in Baghdad? The Ben Ishchai. The Ben Ishchai got a copy of the Leshem. He opened it up. He said like a, a brilliant sun came shining out, a light came shining out. And he spent a year learning the Leshem. And when he was finished, he made a Suda. And he invited all the Hashuvim of Baghdad to come and dress in Big Day Yamtif. But he never had any contact with the Leshem because from Baghdad to northern Lithuania someplace, what seems was very distant, weren't Shayaris Metsuyas. When the Leshem arrived in Eretz Yisrael, when he was 81, the Yabenishchai heard about it, and it seems there were Shayoris Mensuyais between Yerushal- between Aris Yisrael and Baghdad, and he sent a letter to him. And in the letter he described how the Sefer Aleshem changed his life, he, he became his Rebbe in Kabbalah, a very meaning, beautiful letter. And they say that when the Leshem opened it, he read the letter, and his eyes teared up. He said, if I would have gotten this letter 20 years ago, there would have been a Chelik Bez to the Leshem. It's very hard to work when total lack of recognition. So when I, I heard that story, I was very moved, and I said, you know, the Holy Shluchim, there were so many of them work in anonymity. We have to talk about that Karasatayv, that Kal Yisrael owes them. By the way, as an interesting part of that story, they say when the Leshem came to Yerushalayim, he went to Rav Kook to thank him. And he came in, and it was a winter night, and he was dressed in, he was a bitter Araman, dressed in Shmatis, and he was shivering. So Rav Kook ran to the closet, and he had a lot of Hasidim in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Kook, and they had bought him a beautiful coat with a fur lining, so he gave it to the Leshem to wear. And they say that he brought it home, and Rebel Yashiv, then his grandson, the Paisik of the world, Yarshin the coat, and on cold winter nights, he used to wear the coat that his grandfather, the Leshem, got as a gift from Rav Kook, uh, he, and they keep it in the family. I don't know the status of that coat today. If anybody knows, please let me know. 
But before we go to our guest, I would like to say a thought on the parsha. I remember when I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, Rebel Yashiv, the same aforementioned Rebel Yashiv, I believe had a daughter who married the son of Rebbe Shleim Zalman It could be the other way, but that's how I think it was. This is a long time ago, and they used to have these photo gray lenses, like, you know, when the sun shone on them, they would, would get dark. I don't know if they still have them. So Rebel Yashiv's daughter went to Optica Gula. She's in this store and she's looking at it and she's trying to figure out if she should wear it. The optician is showing her how it works for sunglasses on Shabbos. He had no idea who she was. And she's looking at it. So she tells the optician of Gula, she says, listen, you know, my father holds it's a problem on Shabbos, maybe of Neulad, but my father-in-law holds that it's Mutta. So the optician looks at her and he says, Maze, Abba, Shver, go ask a Paisik. He tells Rabbi Yashiv's daughter and Rabbi Zalman's daughter-in-law. Why do I say over this story? Rifka Imenu. Her husband is Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avis Hainan Amrakava. Her Shver is Avram Avinu. She has a problem by Yisraeted to Abundant Bekirba. What does she do? She goes to the base medrash of Shem Ve'ever. It's like Abba Shver Tishal Paisik. To Shem Ve'ever, where your Shver is Avram Avinu and your husband is Yitzchak. So listen to Asvara. You could Dingzach, of course. What happened? Rivka's thinking. What happened when Avram? had a child that wasn't so good, Yishmuel. And here it's for Yisraeti to Abanim, one son is running out of Lebeis Havayda Zara. I mean, she knows there's problems here. What did she say? La Yireish ben ha'am hazaisim b'neim Yitzchak. They send him out, b'chemas mayim. That's it. I don't know. Rivka's not happy about this. She sees the house of Avram, they didn't deal very well with a son who went off the derech. So she goes to Beis Medrash, Roshem Ve'ever. And I have a shtick of Raya. What's my Raya? In the entire Sedra, not once do you see that Rivka ever tries to enlighten Yitzchak onto who Esav really is. She never says a bad word about Esav. Not one time, even though she's clearly in the know. And I'll bring you proof. What does it say at the end of the parasha? I want to kill Yaakov. And Rivka finds out about it. So she, she goes to uh, Yitzchak. Send Yaakov to to get a Shadach. That's not really the real reason. The real reason was because Esav wanted to kill him. She will not tell Yitzchak that Esav wants to kill Yaakov. She will not say a bad word about Esav. She wants Yitzchak to love him. Yitzchak Ahavis Yisav, and you see, Taka does. And why is that? Esav is the first Jewish child, the first Yisrael mummer who goes off the derech. And I think the Avais are teaching us how do we deal with the Jewish child who goes off the derech. And Rivka is teaching us, you know what? Even Esav needs a father. Esav needs a father who loves him. And if I say the wrong thing, maybe it'll affect their relationship. So she will not say a bad thing. And that's why she doesn't tell Yitzchak about the Vayisrei to Abban and Bekirba. In fact, at the end of the parsha. All the way at the parsha, it says, "Yaakov went vayelach padena ram eleven ben besuel harami achirifka." Eleven was the achirifka. Aim Yaakov Esav. So Rashi says, "In in yedaya mabal lamdeinu." I don't know what this is teaching us. Like if all the way at the end of told us, you don't know that Rivka is the mother of Yaakov and Esav. You're you're in trouble, right? But I think maybe Pshat is aim Yaakov is telling you what a wonderful mother she was. She's sending away the son she loves. I mean, or the son she loves more, right? To, to protect Esav, who really needs the house, who needs the father. This is a Jewish mother. No matter what her son turns out to be, she still would not give up her love for him. And I think that's a real lesson in our generation. People have kids who struggle. What does Rivka say? Children need a father. I will not say a bad word.
That was the mother. What about the father, Yitzhak? Yitzhak just loves him. He can't hear anything bad about his son. You know, I remember a story. I was once, my office is in Midtown. Sometimes when, you know, I had to clear my head, I would take a walk. One day I said, I'm going to go buy a tie. So I go into a department store near my office and I'm walking through the, the, the ground floor and I hear shrieking. I look around, there's a lady screaming, I turn around and there's a lady screaming and there's like a, I don't know, 14 year old or 15 year old girl there who's like bawling, crying and she's purple and the mother's saying, you're such a fat you, if you would stop eating, you would lose weight and you would fit into the dress. There was like a dress over there. And people are just walking by ignoring and the girl's like just crying. The mother's screaming. And like a good New Yorker, I walk past, you don't say anything. Then I said, wait, maybe you want me to stop for a minute. I turned around, I go back to the mother, a very fancy, upper class, you know, upper east side woman. And I said, excuse me, can I talk to you for a minute? So she says, do I know you? I said, you know, I think I have something that maybe you'd be interested in. So she steps aside. I said to the mother, I said, you know, you're child, no matter who she is. She could be the most beautiful, no matter what she looks like. She's going to go to school. You know what's going to happen? Kids will tear her apart. That's what people do. If you, if you, if your child is smart, other people are jealous. If they're stupid, they make fun of them. If she's pretty, they're jealous. If they're not, a child only has one advocate in the world. You know who that is? That's the mother or the father. And the minute they stop loving the child... The child is just alone, alone, alone in the world, totally vulnerable to all the barbs everybody throws at them. And the mother looked at me and she said, thank you. And she went back and she stopped screaming. She stopped saying anything. Yitzchak could see nothing wrong with Esav. And I think halachically it's that way also. You know, the Shulchan Aruch tells us, you're not allowed to learn, teach Tyra in Reish Ben Aleph, Reish Ben Beis, in that zip code. A Rebbe is not allowed to teach Tyra to a Talmud who's ain't a Hagoin. It's Kiluk Zorak Evan Lamar Koilis. You know, it's also to teach Tyra to. The whole night of the Seda, we're debating with the Ben Harasha. Why are you debating with the Ben Harasha? A Rebbe is not allowed to teach a, a, a Ben, a, a Talmud, she ain't a Hagoin Tyra. And I think the answer is, it's true. You're not allowed to teach a Talmud, she ain't a it doesn't say a father can't teach his son, because to a father, there is never a son who's ain't hugging. No matter who your son is, I love my son. You have a son who's struggling, you're the father, you want to say some sharfavart, I told you so, it was you would have listened to me, that's not your job. Your son said, how do you my semelech? You know what your answer is? I love you. I have, I have unrequited love in it for you. Yitzchak loved Esav, and therefore you're, there's no din of not teaching Ben She'enei Hagen Taira, because he is not Enei Hagen, he is Hagen, to you he is Hagen. And I want to say a Chiddush Lalacha, this week's parasha, it says, Son tell you, Rashi said he told him to go sharpen the knife, that it should be a Shechita Kshera. Problem is, a Shechita's Mummer, Mummer Lavei Dezara, is, is puzzle. How did he, how would he eat from it? And the answer is, to Yitzchak, he was not a Mummer Lavei Dezara. To Yitzchak, he was his beloved son. And therefore, he was allowed to eat from the Shechita. Even if you hold Shechita's Mummer, which we hold Lavei Dezara's puzzle, is, 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 is natural. Yitzchak said no. I'm going to eat from it because you, Esav, you're my son and I love you. And I think in a generation where everybody knows somebody who has a son they're struggling with, tell them, tell them the shtickle, Tyra. Say, Rivka could see nothing, never said a bad word. And Yitzchak, he ate from the shechita and he taught him Tyra and, and he taught him Tyra because by Talmud Shani Hagen, there's no din by Ben Shani Hagen. Father's job and mother's job is we have to see the children. We have to see the good in our children. Don't worry, you're worried. The rest of the world will see plenty bad. I think that's the takeaway from this week's Parsha.
Let's go to our riddles of the week. Okay, I asked both of these riddles. I was working on them today. So I saw the, uh, the Gera Rosh Hashiva, Shol Alta, the, uh, the son of the, uh, I think he's the son of the Pnei Menachem. And I asked him the following two things. We were talking. I said, it says, el yishmel, bas yishmel. So uh, Rashi says in the next week's parsha. That a chassin and that's why she's called machlas milashin machila. It's a lashin or shalmi, and for that reason we paskin in an Evanezer samachalaf alaf in hulchas kedushin that a chassin vakala have to fast biyim chupasan because the meichel on the kol so it has a din of yom kippur according to some of the nicer kalim. There's different reasons, but that so they have to fast. It's a pella. In other words, it's a day of tshuva meichel and kalav. So fast. What does it say by Yesav? The next pasuk. Right? Oh, next Rashi. Hoisif Rasha al Rishasai, Shalai Girish Sarishinus. He kept the other Ivdia Vaidazar, he brought a new Ivedas Avaidazar into his house. So he did one Rishis bigger than the other. In other words, he, he did he was a double double Rasha. He certainly didn't do any chuva here. So if Asav didn't do chuva when he married Machlas Bas Yishmael, and she's still called Machlas Rashi says, Maikhlal Kalavainaisav. So you see the Chuva the the Mahila of a of Averis of a chasen has nothing to do with Chuva, like you see by Asav. If so, why does the Shulchanarch say that he has to fast? And if you look in the Mysakalam, the Biragra, etc., says they learn it from this halacha, yet you have to fast to do chuva. The Mahomakir is the guy who who was was Nimchalaz Averis without any chuva. So if Dayalov Manadinli is Kinidin, now you want to learn the halacha for every chasen, shouldn't have to you say don't eat. There's no din of tshuva. It's like hitzumay shol yaimachaper. And the kapara is just because you're a chassan. That is the first Torah. The second Torah is, it says, Vatikach rifkes big day esav b'no ha-gadol ha-chamudais ha-she'itababayis. Rashi says, why did he give it to her? He had a whole house full of wives. He says, he was mafkidit, milashin pekadin, eitzel imay, shayabaki b'masein ha-chayshish. He gave it to his mother. She should watch it. Hi, Rebbe Zay, if his mother was a shayimah pekadin, how was she allowed to give it to Yaakov, Allah is a shoyal shaloy midas, gazlan hu. So first of all, she was over on Shlichas Yad. He was, he was a shoyal shaloy midas, gazlan hu. She was over on Shlichas Yad. And obviously, when Mekayim kala tairakula, how was she allowed to give it away? Beloy Rishus of Esav. Those were the two shaylas that we, I asked the Ger Rosh Hashiva. And uh, whoever gets the answers, we will, as usual, send some type of a gift. To leave a message, call 732 732- 806-8700 and press number two or email at info at headlinesbook.com Let's go to our guests of the week. Joining us from Boca Raton is Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. He's the Rav of what is arguably the two or three largest shuls in America, thousands of Mespalim, close to a thousand members and their families. Welcome, Rabbi Goldberg. Thank you so much. Good to be with you again. So, Rabbi Ephraim, what's your, what do you believe about the Internet? Is it a, a good... Should we, should we be using the Internet? Should we allow families to be using the Internet? Give us uh, your, uh, your hargashanas. 
My feeling, my personal practice, is that the Internet is one of those tools or instruments that is here, it's here to stay. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of how. Um, you know, cars can drive you to places of ill repute. A car could drive you to a place of averas, a place of licentiousness, or a car could be a vehicle to go do mitzvahs. The telephone could be used to communicate lashanara and slander. Once upon a time, you could call into very inappropriate places. Or the telephone can be used to communicate chesed and coordinate Learn Torah. So there are countless examples of technology being a double-edged sword that could be used in both directions. Mitzvah HaShavah, the common denominator of them all, is not to necessarily reject it wholesale, nor is it to lean in and embrace it wholesale, but is to do so judiciously, to do so carefully, to take the best of it and to be protected from the worst of it. So I'm not saying that anybody who's trying to live without Internet and trying to um, be mindful and without distraction or without temptation, I, I wouldn't be critical of them. I'm not suggesting that they have to. All I'm saying is it is a reality of the world that we're living in today. One could argue that even to preserve our own safety. I know I own children, and uh, I have children in Israel. There's a whole discussion. Do you use a smartphone or do you use you know, the old phone? And if you don't have access to be able to um, identify modes of transportation and traffic patterns and Khalila be alerted to a terror event, then you're, you're depriving yourself of tools that Kodesh Baruch Hu blessed us in our time to be able to have that both makes our life more convenient, more comfortable, but also safer. In some ways, it enhances our life religiously and spiritually if we use it well. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer, and I think it's irresponsible to say it's entirely good, embrace it all. It's irresponsible to say it's entirely evil, don't go near any of it. Like all these other forms of technology that we had to get used to and channel and harness for the good, we have to use responsibly and judiciously. So, Rabbi Goldberg, the, the other side of that argument would be is that Yes, we agree that technology, we embrace technology, but notwithstanding that, I think most people would agree that they would not have a grenade launcher at home, even a technologically advanced one. And the difference between, let's say, newspaper, which at its time, its advent was something new, uh, telephone, etc., the internet, uh, I believe, I once saw, and I could be wrong, 40% of internet usage is for pornography, right? So, you know, the, the Torah has a lot of halachas about yichud, and is there a question when somebody's holding in his pocket something that is as dangerous to his ruchnius as a grenade launcher is to his gashmius? I would say it's markedly different than a telephone, markedly different than a, a newspaper. And uh, should there be a din of yichud on an iPhone? It being and 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 I would I would ask you as a rav, and um, um, I saw another survey that. 45% of divorces filed in the last two years have the word Facebook someplace in them. In other words, it's, it was an element, a, a part of the divorce. So I, to equate the iPhone and its instant, instant, in total privacy, the most lurid scenes imaginable sitting in your pocket is markedly different than a phone, a television, or a newspaper. So it, it's a good point. It's a fair point, but I'm not sure it's as markedly different as you're depicting it than a car. A car, you drive an SUV, you drive a large car, you're talking about something that weighs, I don't know, an enormous amount that's moving at enormously high speeds, and that is absolutely could be a weapon that can kill, that can murder, can murder the people outside the vehicle, can murder the people driving the vehicle. Delamai, what's the answer? We have seatbelts, we have speed limits, we have safety features, we, and the more we've learned, the more we've instituted them, to be able to protect the person who's moving at such high speed because there's potential lethal liability. So I think the same is true with the Internet, 100%. Baruchnius, spiritually, you're, you're dealing with a nuclear device. There's something that could absolutely 
challenge you, become addictive to you, interfere, can destroy relationships. 100% it's something which is a potential nuclear device. It's, it's dangerous like a car moving, plowing down the highway. So the, similarly to the car, it needs to have boundaries. It needs to have rules and regulations. And Yichud is a wonderful one. I remember one of my Rebbe, Moriv Rabbi, Rev. Willig Shlito, when the internet first came out, I was in yeshiva at the time, and he very strongly urged that there should be a Din Yichud. Not api halacha, strict halacha, but meaning the spirit of the halacha of Yichud we should observe when it comes to the internet. Public places, if a child's doing schoolwork, the door should always be open if they're on the internet. Um, there are arguable a lot of boundaries that we can place. A person does have a smartphone for whatever reason, not to take it into an isolated private place with them. It's a key say to be locked in a room, to be where no one's around. You can make all of those arguments. Um, I don't know, again, that it's a one-size-fits-all, and I don't know how it is applied given people's different circumstances and their life. But I agree. That's what I said to begin with. To suggest that you can dive in um, and, and entirely embrace it without having any sense of boundaries, filter, and meaning literal and metaphorical, is irresponsible. It's like driving a car with no seatbelt, with no, with no left turn or right turn light, with no brake that's working. You can't do that. You'll kill someone and you get yourself killed. And the same is true here with the use of the Internet. But by the same token, look at the last year and a half of Delvis. Think about the last couple of years. How much Torah, how many, I wouldn't say thousands, millions of hours of Torah would have been deprived to Klal during Corona, during lockdown and shutdown and quarantine if we wholesale rejected the Internet? And I'm including the telephone in that because the telephone is a technology who when it first came out, not everybody embraced it. And many people were very scared by it. What Chaim famously said, it was invented like all other advances for Klal to channel and use for Kedusha and for holy things. So imagine the last two years Imagine the last two years, if we didn't have, and I know there are communities that only did things on the phone, but by and large, even communities that had participated previously in rejecting Internet at writ large, embraced Zoom and embraced certain technologies without which there wouldn't have been yeshiva and chavrusa, there wouldn't have been shirim and chaburas, there wouldn't have been dafyomi and learning an enormous, enormous amount of Torah, hundreds of thousands, millions of hours over the two years. It kept Klai Yisrael sane and healthy and inspired it gave, us, it gave us guidance. It was absolutely an anchor that we relied upon. I shudder to think, I shudder to think that if Claudio and Large had rejected technology entirely, what the last two years would have looked for. People feeling isolated, people not doing any learning, people not driving any inspiration. It's a reality of our world. The question is, are we judicious? Are we careful? Are we instituting seatbelts and brakes and turns and safety features? Or are we going to pretend it's not here and stay on a horseback? So, Rabbi I would just ask about the comparison to a car. When you give somebody a car, 40% of uses are for pornography. I mean, 40% forty percent of people are not in getting into life-threatening crashes. In fact, most people never do because it's in their best interest to not to. But your here your Yetzirah is telling you don't get into a crash. Here your Yetzirah is telling you, is on the contrary, saying do use the iPhone. And to use the iPhone... At, in, in a Mokim Shomer, I mean, it's ridiculous. A person carries his iPhone wherever he goes. But it, in any situation, it's 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 almost impossible to have Yichud with it. I had I, additionally, Adon, I had a Rebbe on from Eretz Yisrael, a very well-known Rebbe, who said that 80% of the boys who he speaks to, 80% of Bachram and Eretz Yisrael have at one time been on pornographic sites. I think that's an astonishing number. 
It's and, astonishing. It's deeply troubling, and it's destroying families. But, but David, I'd ask you, what's the alternative? Let's not pretend. I was at a chasna a couple weeks ago in an extraordinarily firm, so-called firm community in the tri-state area. And I looked around. Everybody fit the part. Everybody looked yeshivish. But I watched. I watched at the chasna's tish. I watched during the chuppah. I watched throughout the wedding night. And I saw, do you know how high a percentage of people who are all dressing the part and looking the part and part of a community that supposedly doesn't involve the internet, every one of them, not everyone, how many of them took out their smartphone? So either what we're going to do is promote that when, when we depict that that's the only use or those percentages use or that that's the main use, if we're going to talk about it as being this, this clea and this, this instrument and vehicle only of tumah, then the people are going to use it, they're going to use it anyway. They're going to feel guilty, ashamed. They're going to feel, once I have it, I might as well look at those things. I'm a shagit even for having it, but I might as well act like a shagit. So I'm encouraging that we teach people to be responsible digital citizens. We teach people how to act responsibly, how to put filters, how to have safeguards, how to take responsibility in life. Let's not all fool ourselves. Before technology, even among Yeshiva Bachram, there was use of pornography, accessing pornography, going to magazine stores. Of course, not anywhere near that percentage, not anywhere near that impact. But it existed then. The Yetzirah has existed in different forms than it will. So we can deny that the world is open and available. We can deny that even within the firm community, people are embracing the technology. And then they'll just feel outside of it, and they'll act irresponsibly with it. Or we can acknowledge the realities, and we can teach and educate. We can inspire. We could create campaigns in which we're machazik one another. We could create expectations. We could talk about early on what it means to use things responsibly and how to use them and put protocols in place about how to use them. And I'm advocating the second because empirically, I'm partially looking around empirically and saying that even in the communities that previously might have promoted or participated in the Nasifa and might have made broad declarations about these technologies, they're being used. They're being used. And I remember once visiting a cover of mine who was living in Eretzisro, who came from a similar background as me and was now so-called much more to the right. Part of a community who at the time didn't have the internet. And he wanted to show me something in his apartment. His children were asleep. So he went underneath the bed to pull out the laptop and to open it to show me something. So I said, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. You're part of the community that doesn't have the internet. Don't have it. But you do have it. For whatever reasons you do have it, he wasn't using it inappropriately. He was using it, I think, to communicate with family, to check up on news, for sure and for productive things. I said, what happens if your child wakes up in the middle of the night, doesn't feel well, can't sleep, comes outside and finds you with the laptop? Because of the way you position what the internet means, if he or she, a little child, finds you with the, with the internet, they're finding you in a mice's nose. They've discovered you in the worst thing in the world. So you've set this up for a disaster, for a calamity. That you're underground, you're hiding, you're leaving a dual life. So I'm not suggesting everyone needs to have it. If you don't have it, don't get it. But I'm suggesting that we are honest with ourselves with the reality of how many do have it and therefore react based on the, the reality and encourage responsible use rather than pretend to try to wind back the clock in a way which we can't. Let me ask you, what are, you, what are your positions on social media? My positions on social media. I use social media, but I use it in a very specific way. I use it um, exclusively to try to share Torah, to inspire, to try to uh, challenge people with questions, with thoughts, to share articles, to share shiurim, to promote programs. And, and I do so twofold. First of all, I think that there's an Indian of Basher Husham. There's a segment of community that that's where they are. And they're not where we wish they would be. They're not necessarily in the shul or in the base measure or coming live in person to the shir. And if we want to reach them not where we wish they were, but where they are, then that is a reality that we have to, that we have to live with. So part of it is a concession. It's 
certainly not lechatchila. There's a bedieved component to it. But Basher Husham, where many are who we want to access, inspire, teach, connect, be part of a community, that's where they are, and that's how we find them. But that doesn't mean that we, again, should be unfiltered or we should be um, lack judiciousness when we're doing it. We have to be very, very careful. The picket of Rabbi Yezer in last week's Pasha, that when Avram Avinu dies and Yitzchak comes to bury Mishmol's with him, where did Yishmael come from? Avram had thrown him out of the house. The picket of Rabbi the picket very beautifully, a long, beautiful medrash, that Avram got permission from Sarah to go visit Yishmael. The medrash describes three times he tries to go visit Yishmael. Each time Yishmael is not home, he meets another wife of Yishmael. Avram leaves an encoded message that the wife is no good. Yishmael should look elsewhere. But very, very interesting. You can almost miss it in the medrash. It says that. Sarah makes Avram promise, and Avram keeps to it, that when he goes to visit Yishmael, he won't come off the camel. Travel there on the camel, go visit him. He's your son, he's your flesh and blood. Of course, you want to know how he is, even while you've had to practice tough love and get him out of the house, but don't go off the camel. And I take that to mean, even when you have to be sometimes where people are to connect, but you can't come down off the camel. You can't, it doesn't mean that you're not a consumer of the social media world that you're not addicted and you're not scrolling, that you're not consuming, that you're not lost in comments, that you're not, uh, you're not somebody who's, who's mindlessly um, engaged in that activity. So I think that depending who you are, when I was first uh, using social media for this purpose only, I don't share where I'm on vacation or the dessert I had for dinner or how my children are feeling or wish anyone a happy birthday. I don't, I don't use it for any of those things. For me, I use it exclusively to try to teach, inspire, and connect to promote our programs, our learning opportunities, and so on. When I first did it, there weren't that many people, certainly Rabbanim, who were, and there was a lot of negative feedback. I got a lot of criticism. Today, you look at Twitter, for example, social media. I'm talking about Agudis Yisrael as a Twitter handle. I'm that's talking about funny. the famous magazines that we have on Twitter handles. I think that's, that's funny, and I'll tell you why, because the, by the, by Facebook the, the, live more than anyone I know. I, I just, you know, think of the, they had a thief about the internet, and I remember a popular rough for months, he's screaming that if you have the internet, Rabbi, whatever said that you don't have a chelik la'ilam haba. And I find it ironic that the Agudas Yisrael has a, a Twitter handle. Right, again, someone, one of your listeners might call in, is it their official Twitter handle, or somebody else just used their name for a Twitter handle? But I promise you, members of high-level professionals and executives of Aguda, great Rabbanim in the Aguda world today have Twitter and use it. Art school has Twitter. They're all using it. Bashar Hushan, that's where people are. Now, it's interesting. The firm community has determined that Twitter is firmer than Facebook or than Instagram. Although on Instagram, there's a whole following of firm women who use it to follow influencers, cooking, sneers, sheitlach, all kinds of things. So, you know, what movement from the Amcha determines the Heksher of which part or which of the latest fads of, of social media is acceptable and legitimate? It's a fascinating thing to study in its own right. But the point is, again, we have come a long way where it's not a question of if. It's just a question of how many and where and, and, and what creativity and how it is competing to, to gain followers and influence using it. It is a tool that, that companies use, marketers use, PR use, influencers use, and those who want to be in positions of trying to influence, hopefully in a very positive and Torahic way, are using it. So my children don't have social media. They don't use social media. Again, I, I don't think it's a, it's a chiv. I'm not encouraging people who, who don't feel the need to be there or on there necessarily to use it. I use it in a very uh, specific way. But there's a whole world who do use it who otherwise might have fought, felt very isolated, very alone. Um, we've seen recently, I think a month ago, a um, major study came out about Facebook and Instagram and its impact on mental illness, particularly among teenage girls. It's undeniable, the data now, about social media, unfettered and unfiltered social media use by teenagers, particularly teenage girls, who are trying to live multiple lives simultaneously. They're competing with friends. They can't keep up. 
it is there's a direct correlation between an enormous spike in mental illness and the use of the social media. So we're dealing with nuclear devices. We're dealing with things that are that can be life and death. Mental health is as dangerous as, as physical health. So for parents or children to engage them, to use them without taking responsibility for them, Baruch Hashem within the firm community, we have people like Dr. Shapiro, we have others who go around and they educate how to use these things responsibly. What does it mean to be a responsible digital citizen? What is the digital fingerprint that we're leaving? What should we consume? How do we consume? So again, I, I don't think it's an either or. I do think that there's some healthy, um, moderate way in the middle, which uh, we should promote and we should teach given the reality of how many people are using. Let me go back. You were mentioning the story about don't get off the camel. It reminds me of the Pasuk in Mishlei. Don't, don't be in a spoil. And even if you have to acquiesce, but st- keep your, hold on to your place. I would just make the argument, and I'm sure that there are Erelach Yidin who would make this argument, that it's, it's, again, these things like Internet, like um, social media. Yes, it's, we, we say with sincerity, it's, it's like a nuclear device and we have to watch it carefully. I don't know a lot of people who would keep loaded handguns in their house and say, look, I'm going to watch it carefully. Or certainly not a nuclear device in their house. So it, it, it sort of it rolls off my lips or your lips easily. We wouldn't say the same thing. Let's keep a little atom bomb in our house and we'll, we'll lock it up in the room. We'll make sure it's well locked. Nobody would have... Would have and, and, and I would get pushback from Yeshiva Light and Lakewood and Archistrell and they would say, look, you know, you could take the attitude that, that we're going to keep an eye on it and we're going to this and it's the reality, but your kids will get a hand on it. And once Pandora is out of the box and they have you pornography, they lose an element of Kedusha. They lose the Vekas Batyra. And we will not see godless Batyra from those kids, period. So it rolls off our lips easily. But if you go to yeshivas, etc., that are, are, are a little more sort of real about it and they take the real attitude, it's just a different level of learning. It's a different level of Kedusha. And yeah, they kept an atom bomb in the house, and they said we're going to keep an eye on it and this and that, but we really don't keep an eye on it. And they will tell you the kids are damaged forever. And, and they may be right. Let, let's do a side-by-side comparison. Let's go to the communities that constantly talk about the Internet as if it is inherently, intrinsically usher, that it's chazer, that anyone who goes near it is nochelik and olam haba. And let's measure within those communities how many people have just gone underground with their Internet usage but are still using it. Let's talk about how many sneak to public libraries or other places or the friend who has it or has the dumb phone that everybody knows about, the smartphone they keep in their pocket. Again, I'm not suggesting everyone's doing that. And let me be very, very clear. I'm not advocating that every yeshiva should do homework and, and give assignments and the Internet, that we should set up our yeshiva system and it demands it. If there are communities that want to not use the Internet, it's a beautiful thing. Hopefully they can maintain that But don't you see, wouldn't, couldn't you see that if a yeshiva was successful in keeping their kids, quote-unquote, filtered and not allowing the parent body to have it at home and not allowing and saying, look, we don't want the item bomb at house with all the shmiras you can make. Can't you see a kid coming out of that environment with just a different kedusha, a different tara, a different vekas patira, less conflict, you know, how teenage boys' libido is off the chart, and if you feed it, ever caught in yeshbadam, and we... We will see G'daylum from those kids, and we will not see them from the other kids. I mean, do you see that as a reasonable statement? Is it a reasonable statement? Yes, but it's a reasonable statement in theory, not necessarily in practice. Of course, just like a home that had no sugar, no white flour, no candy, are there going to be healthier children that emerge from it? Yes, but are there, her- again, I'm not comparing unhealthy foods to the unhealthiness and the impact on the rookness of the Internet. 
My point is I'm living in the world of reality. And the evidence empirically that I'm right, and I don't want to rank on any community, but a major firm community that when you talk about how many meetings, SA meetings there are, how many addiction meetings there are, what segment of the very stark firm community nevertheless found a way to become addicted because we drove underground. So I'm not saying, therefore, the answer obviously is everyone should have a TV in their home. Everybody should have cable TV, unlimited channels. Everybody should have unfiltered internet. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just talking about this utopian society that we're describing. Can we create a bubble and go live inside of it and demand everybody coming into it not have any access to these other things? If it exists, I don't really know about it. I know communities that are even attempting to do it, and even they are doing it unsuccessfully. So certainly we can aspire to it. We can create communities that have rules, expectations, protocols within the schools, within the schools to participate in the community, certain standards that we're trying to have. I'll tell you this, and, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly, and maybe you've had the same experience if you've been to Reb Chaim, the Sar HaTorah. There's a sign hanging when you go into Reb Chaim's apartment in Bnei Brak, and it says smartphones are Osir, and they're Osir to bring into the apartment. And then you get a bracha from Reb Chaim, and a moment later you get a WhatsApp picture from members of Reb Chaim's family of you getting the bracha on WhatsApp from their smartphone to your smartphone. So just explain to me. Explain to me the reality. There's a sign in the apartment of the Sar HaTorah, the double Hador, that says it's also, you know, don't bring it into the apartment. And then Gufa, the direct members of the family who are running the whole Chatzar, send you a picture getting a bracha from their smartphone to yours on the very app which has been answered using the very internet which denies you a chelik and haba. You know, I would say, Rabbi Goldberg, I would say that there's definitely um, an element, some element of hypocrisy, or I would say necessarily hypocrisy, dishonesty. But 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 I would say that I, I look I have family that are really on the right side and I do see that they are serious about it. In other words, we, we can always look at a segment and say, oh, you know, Kolel, so many guys sitting. But let's assume for a minute those who aren't watching TV on the side and this and that. I know that I see, um, and I learned to like, but I can say that the majority of the Yilite are very serious and live with serious nefesh. There is those who are able to maintain it. There's a real difference. And, and I agree with you that it's, it's, you know, you know, they school in a way almost, you know, but those who do it, there is a real difference. That, that's, that's, that's my of only comment. There and There's I, a re- and the yeshivas I, that I can do. enforce it, there really is a difference. I, too, have family who are living it. I have children who are living it. I'm proud of them. I admire it. It's wonderful. And I do agree with you. You can measure a different existence living with a different mindfulness living with a different level it's, of it's, it's like Adam Arish and Kaidam Achet or Achar Achet you know before the Chet he, he didn't know Taivara and after the Chet once Pandora is out of the box and you know the difference between Taivara you just can't put it back in and there are yeah, people who are living there, there are people who really we, we do have I understand but there are B'nai Taira who are living with an element of holiness and, and, and you do see a difference I, I, you clearly see a difference that, that's, my, that's the only thing I think it's very hard to, to say that we're going to do adequate shmiris. It's, it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not locked up in a gun closet. Let me ask you another question, because you're also a historian, a Jewish historian. Can you think of any time, like, how, has, how have the Orthodox Jewry, when it's met modernity in the past, you know, in the Enlightenment, you know, the French emancipation, etc., how, how did... Frumkai encounter modernity then, what was it at its attitude and was it successful? Or is this beyond what so, your is this beyond no, your no, pay no, grade? 
I'm not a historian. I'm, a, I'm an amateur um, teacher who likes to share parts of history, but far from a historian. The Industrial Revolution is a perfect example because the whole machine matcha controversy with Shlomo Kluger and others was not only about halacha and the dinam of lishma and so on, but it was as much about what will our attitude be towards the Industrial Revolution, towards modernity, towards machines replacing people. And if you follow historically, even understanding the subtext of those tshuvas, you find it in there. So there have always been the traditionalists who've rejected innovation and progress. There have been others who have been willing to more embrace it, but understand it or, or utilize it, channel it for divrei kedusha. Um, it, it's a fascinating question. I think that's just one case study. If a person wants to look into it more closely, is the whole story of, uh, of machine matzah. But different segments of the community have embraced elements of modernity or progress or innovation very, very differently. And I don't know that we can paskin sort of who won, although there are things which have become more universal. So machine matzah, which at its time was an enormous controversy, and for Leila Seder and Mrs. Matzah, there are those who would be makbed not to use machine matzah. Dafka, there are those who are makbed to use machine matzah. There's less uh, room for error if it's not human. Is that machlokas? But today, you don't hear today, people say machine matzah is no good. It's not kosher for all the original reasons there was opposition. In that way, sort of progress won out. The machine matzah became universal or became a, a, a part of Kla Yisrael. So it's an interesting case study, and it's definitely part of a bigger phenomenon. Although this, for the reasons that you said, in terms of the potential danger with it, and the nuclear component to it, might be categorically different than all the, the historical precedents. You, you explained to me, when the Sanzarov, who led the war against machine matters, responds to all the answers, why it should be good, etc., he says, I'm answering it, mitam kamus, from a, a time I can't disclose. And I never knew what that time was. I think I just found out what the time was. It was basically saying, I'm, I don't, if it's bowing to modernity, and I don't want to do that. Correct. Chodesh Torah. That whole school saw the Industrial Revolution as a world of Chidosh and Chodesh. Torah. Have you ever wondered, and I know this again, we're going way beyond our discussion. America has been astonishingly successful at, we've, you know, in, in Europe, you weren't allowed to learn, um, um, you know, all uh, when my wife's grandfather, my shver's father of Shragafival, started Tarvadas, he wrote a letter to Chaim Oiza, who wrote him a hetta, he's allowed to do it, etc. It was, it was groundbreaking at the time. But in retrospect, if in Europe, you know, they had allowed from a doctors and from a lawyers, and you know, you go to court today and there's three lawyers sitting there learning Dafyami, waiting for the judge to come in, right? So if they would have allowed it, do you think the the impact of Haskalah would have been so much? You can't outmaskal us. We are the educated. Do you think in retrospect we should have embraced modernity more? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. It's sometimes hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy to uh, to look back. No, so, but, to... but Rabbi Goldberg, the reason, it's true hindsight is twenty twenty. but if it can teach us something about the future, such as those, they didn't embrace modernity, and it had a, a, a fatal effect. You know, Haskalah, you know, in the end, Litha was 95% fry. It started 90% from, but people at a certain point said, look, we don't want to be ignorant, we don't want to be poor, and they left, they voted with their feet. Would you take the same argument towards something like the unfolding world and say, it didn't work, so let's get with it, embrace it, and figure it out. So I'm, I'm not looking at it to judging the past, only using the past as a way right. to understand the future. It's a good question. It's a good question. Can you extrapolate from it and apply to us today? I don't know, because as much as we lost and as much damage was done, maybe the Godolim of the time thought that the damage would have been even, even worse, even of a, greater, of a greater magnitude. You know, the, the Mishnah says, So you could daven in any language. So when the reform came and they instituted davening in English, or in German, I should say, 
Why the Chassam Sofa? Why, why did Marashik, why did they take such strong opposition to it? Because they had a certain Das Torah, they had a certain, a certain a Ruach, they had a certain vision to understand that if we allow that innovation, it's not just a battle of that particular choice, which al Alacha is totally acceptable, it's the slippery slope of what that leads to, and they had a certain level of prophetic vision. They were, they were prescient in seeing where it's gone. The community that made that change, which is legitimate, has since then made enormous changes such that the Torah is barely recognizable, at least anymore, the halachic parts of Torah that they're living. So the Gedolim have a certain vision that we don't necessarily have, and maybe they saw with it, even though there would be uh, casualties by their lack of embracing of enlightenment, if they would have leaned in further to it and tried to out-enlighten the enlightened, maybe there would have been even more mass casualties something that maybe was part of their calculation. Rabbi Goldberg, it's always fascinating to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Joining us from Lakewood is Rabbi Nehemia Gottlieb. He's the founder of TAG, Technology Awareness Group, which has over 50 offices. I believe in Lakewood itself, his his office has over 30,000 visits a year. And it's about raising awareness about Internet, its dangers, they, they give advice about filters, etc. Welcome, Reb Nechemia. Hello, Reb David. It's a pleasure to be on again. Let's talk about um, social media. I mean, I, I, the same meta-universe, I saw a quote from somebody who said that at Facebook they were trying to figure out how to get children as young as six hooked to the, addicted to the Internet. Frightening. Right. Um, you know, what does it take? Hashem Yerdim, Yerdim Adla Tahaim, unfortunately, on Zuckerberg. You know, he's a Jewish boy. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. W- give us some, some nuance. Give us some insight. I, I personally am too old for this, for social media. I'm too old to be on Facebook, etc. But we have many younger people listening to use Instagram and Facebook, and I don't know if Twitter is considered social media yeah. or not. And give us some, some nuanced insight, not like just big, broad brushes. Got it. Okay. And. Um... So we can do that. We can talk about social media in general. We can talk about as it pertains to being used within the framework of from society for quote unquote. Because here's the debate. Let me yeah, let me frame the debate, okay? Yeah. Let, let me frame the debate. Sure. Um, Chabad on one end, right? They have shluchim in the most remote parts of the world, and they do incredible things. I mean, they're matzal, rabim heishiv meyavin. Chassidus that today has become really its focus on Rabbim Heishiv Meyavin. And how do they mechanach their kids when they're uh, when you're sitting in you know Zik Siberia when you have a seven and an eight and a six year old? It has to be done with classrooms that I guess would be considered some level social media, right? And then you have cancer people who are going through all different types of cancer. You have these groups. Facebook groups for breast cancer, Facebook groups for, for lung cancer. I'm, 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 I mean, I've heard, I don't know, I can't say the exact type, and if it's exactly on Facebook or some other form of social media, that's one end of the, 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 the uh, spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum are the teenagers who, the, the report from Facebook said they become bulimic uh, and addicts and suicidal because they're, you know, constantly watching, you know, what the other person, the, 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 the Instagram, the um, Photoshopped views of other people's lives that are driving them literally to, to suicide. So are we against all of it? Are we against some of it? Can you put a filter and say you're only on the cancer one but not under this one? This is what you do. Tell us. Okay, great questions. Um, so let me say like this. Um, first of all, I want to say I do have very strong or harsh words about this topic, not chas v'shalom about anybody who's involved with it. I believe that the people who are doing this are l'shem shamayim. They're doing what in their belief is the right thing. They're doing it for Torah. They're doing it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I do unfortunately think that they're very 
uninformed. It's a, a new a new phenomenon. And uh, as in the past in Klai Yisrael, very often when new things come along, people unthinkingly uh, get, get swept up and they're not sure what they're doing. So that having been said, I'm not speaking about any person, Chas Shalom, or any organization, but I will talk uh, with uh, you know, no holds barred about the, about the thing itself. The first thing I want to say is this. The only person or the only body that has a right to an opinion on this issue is Das Taira. And I want to explain why. Not just because we're Haredi Jews and we, and, you know, and, we, and we bow to Das Taira. This is something which is literally changing Klal Yisrael. The exact amount that we're going to engage with this thing is going to change our chinuch, it's going to change our openness to the, to the Goyesha world, it's going to change many, many different things. Nobody has a right to an opinion except for the leaders of Klal Yisrael. It really needs a Sanhedrin. I tell you, I know the shadows that are being asked. The best <laughs> proxy for a Sanhedrin that we have today is the Gedalim of our generation, and it's their call. Yes, okay, I was here in Muncie when they had an internet of Sifa, and the Rev, Rav got up, right, an older Rav got up and he said, und, I'll say it in English, just that they say that you need a filter, I want to remind everybody we have to change our filters every year. He was confusing mm-hmm. it with an air conditioning filter. So when I, you say that it's up to Das Tyra, like I, I saw the, the senators grilling Mark Zuckerberg when he was in thing. They didn't have a clue about what Facebook was. And these are much more um, integrated into society people who, who live on the Internet, right? And you could see from their absurd questions, they had no understanding what social media was and how it works. So when you talk about Das Tyra, I mean, is it like asking Das Tyra whether to operate on the left order or the right order? I mean, they, they, they're tremendous gedolim, but they, 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 they never went to medical school. And it's not a stretch to say they've never been on social media in their lives. Like, how could they opine on social media and say it's, it's up to them except when they... they I was there. Should we, should we have to change the filters every year? Like, go, go call your air conditioning. I have to so change the filter on the Internet. Right. Okay, Rev. David. So let me say like this. This is it's a great and valid question. I will tell you that I have personally posed in workshop this question to literally thirty to 40,000 girls around the world because I do workshops with groups of girls. Um, and I, I never had a group that was stumped. They always come back with great answers. I, I really... It's like a 20-minute to a half-hour discussion, and I would be happy to have it with you either online or offline, but if we, if we have that discussion properly now, we're not going to have time to talk about anything else. So but give let us – let well, me well, tell you. I, I won't look. I, 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 just, just give us the, the, the headlines of it. Say, look, you're wrong because of ABC, and I won't argue. I won't argue because it'll take too long. Yeah. Okay. The headlines the – head, the, there's, there's three things which I think we need to say. Number one, understanding digital technology – Needs three things to understand how to, you know how how we interact with it and what it's what it's going to do to do to us as from Jews. You need to understand technology. You need to understand Torah, and you need to understand human nature. Hands down, Gedolim are the experts on Torah and human nature much more than everybody else. The third piece, the technology, which you know every guy with an iPhone considers himself an expert on this question, or every entrepreneur, so on and so forth. They have the third piece, which that is a piece which is relatively easy to coach somebody. You know what the Satmar Rebbe said about taking people, you know, who are not from uh, from the from the Edo when they took Ravice to become the the rival of Yerushalayim. He said. That's a lifetime. So 
explaining to Gedolim the pertinent facts which they need to have to apply their overwhelming knowledge in Torah and human nature to this is very, very easy. It's not a hard thing. Explaining to a layman the Torah and human nature considerations is impossible. So if anybody's there, now you could say that it's impossible for anybody to be an expert, which might be true. It's a very, very confusing time. But two out of three, the Gedolim score 100. And on the other one, they do their research. And this is what Gedolim do. They meet people. This is the second point. They meet people all day long. You don't have to understand this thing to understand how it affects people. I don't think that a doctor in medical school actually has to see streptococcus under the microscope in order to be able to, to prescribe penicillin when you have it. He knows, what, he, knows what, he knows how it affects you. He sees the fever. He sees, you know, the red throat. And he says, let's do a culture. And then he prescribes penicillin. So they don't have to use it. They don't have to experience it in order to have enough understanding of how it affects people to make effective, to make effective decisions. And the third point, which, again, I think is, is, is crucial, is that when Klai Yisrael is in, a, is in an ace sorrow, when we're at a juncture, they are the ones who Hashem wants to make the decisions period. I walk into meetings with G'day, and of course I feel that I know much more, and I have much. it's all true, but in the end, I will listen to them, because Hashem wants them to run the world. Now, Reb David, we, you, and I, and everybody else, we have a chiv to help make the G'day aware. We, that's our job. They're not gonna, they can't do this, but you, for example, you know, you have, you have enormous resources. Your job, and my job at this time, is to help make sure the G'day are informed and updated, and have all the pertinent facts, because they're not in the museum, so if they don't get the facts, it's hard for them to make the right judgments. Now, go ahead. we were talking about a question, about right. said, so Chabad on one end, cancer on one end, the girls on the... Right, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So what, what I wanted to say is this, that this is, this is really this question, and whether it's Chabad or cancer or whatever, whatever it is, these are judgments that the that the Gedalim need to make. And my job here is to just explain their opinion. And I want to tell you, last time we spoke was about whether or not to to have Zoom in the, in the Chadarim. And I was a spokesman for the decision of the Gedalim. That was a hard job. It was a really, really, really tough call. Here, I don't find it a hard job at all. And I want to, I, I want to tell you why. First of all, there's no serious thinking going on on the other side. Nobody has written about it. Nobody has studied it. Nobody has contacted me. I wrote, I think, the most systematic book on the topic. It's in the bookstores. I run an organization. I have an educational curriculum, which is in 100 schools. Everybody's daughters is learning this, this curriculum. It's all in-depth. I never got a phone call from one of these wonderful uh, people who's, who's taking some kind of a total organization online or whatever. But I got me. What do you say? Let's, just, let's hear the other side or, or, or any. People are, just, people are just going with the, they're just going with the flow. And you know, yeah, but they're like a head. Like, so tell like, us. So, so, so address the issue. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, David. You know, what, they're as enlightened as any 12-year-old on TikTok. They're just going with the flow of the, of, of the times. Enlightened for us means near mitzvah the Torah or. means having an enlightened Torah perspective. I want to ask these people. I want to challenge them over there right now. Does any one of them sitting in their room and saying, I'm sure this is what Urban Cutler would have done. I don't think so. So now, let me tell you what the Das Torah is. Let me, let's, let's, go to the, let's go to the point. The, the, the point of the matter is that digital technology, and these are, of course, big discussions, which could take hours and hours, and we're, we're under the constraints of sound bites. So I'm going to do my best. Digital technology expresses the desires, culture, and psychology, etc., of the Umasa Ilam. And it's smart. 
It is smart. It's powerful. It's dynamic. It's made in a way that it can reach into a person, a person and push their buttons. I mean, you, you know the type of terms that they use, hacking people's biology to get certain outcomes. When you have an ad, let's say for Trump, when you had ads, which each ad had 200 different iterations, which the one which was served to you was something which AI in the cloud was deciding on the fly what you, David Lichtenstein, should see at this hour of the day, so on, and so, so on and so forth. So we're not talking about anything which we've had in the past of just engaging with some kind of a Gaisha culture, like a person who knows I'm going to the library right now to take out a non-Jewish non book. And this is in many, many ways. It's very, very subtle. It's very subtle how this, our lives are private. We connect, but what we do, we value the fact that we, that we live our, our uh, the private part of our lives are private. So, social, social networking is not about connecting. It's not about that part. It's not, it's not about the news, for example, that, that people have public persona and they have public lives and they, wa they want to connect. It's about sharing what is, what is supposed to be private. It's about sharing the personal. That's the godless of, 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 social, of social media. That's why, that's why people like it. Now, what they've managed to do to Umar Sa'ilam is to make a huge abuvia between private life and between business and between politics and, by the way, between work and play, which is foreign to us, right? We're not, uh, we believe that Adam Amoyulad, they don't believe that. You're not Amoyulad. You're born to enjoy yourself, to have pleasure, and unfortunately, you have to, you know, you have to work. So there's a lot of, this is not about Yiddish culture. It's not about two people connecting over Zoom to learn a Chavusa Shaft or sharing a family simcha. We're not, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about taking the, the details of your private life and showing them indiscriminately to tens or hundreds or thousands or millions of people. People following other people and following their, their personal life. So that's not a that's not a Yiddish thing a Yiddish thing to do. As far as the people who are doing it, I'm going to say something now, which a lot of people are not going to like, and it's probably going to be misquoted and misunderstood. But I'm going to say it anyway because it's it's the MS. One of the first times that I spoke publicly about uh, about the internet many years ago, um, I was at a school Shabbos, and at this school Shabbos for a high school. Rail Shabbos, there was a gathering for the adults who were there, and a lady said to me, similar to what you mentioned now with uh, Chabad and cancer and so on and so forth, she said to me, well, you're against the internet and doing things on the internet. We have a shidduch crisis, and we need to use the internet to make uh, shidduchim or whatever it is, and, you know, how could you, how, how could you, know, how could you say that that's not okay? Or how, maybe she mentioned by name the Gedalim, how could they say that's not okay? And I, I, I said to her, I said, listen, first of all, the Gedalim are people who give their lives to help other people. They don't have personal lives. They sit their whole day and night and they listen to people's sorrows and they help them and they advise them and they misfollow for them. I think it's presumptuous for other people who don't live that way, who have their pet cause or whatever it is, to think that they really care about Klai Yisrael more than Gedalim do. I think it's out of place and I don't think it's, I don't think, I don't think it's true. And if the Gedalim feel something, it's not because they're, they're callous. It's not because they don't care. It's because they have a broader, a broader range of considerations to make. But that being said, I said to this lady, listen, we don't have to solve the Shidduch crisis and we won't. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to solve the Shirah crisis. And the only thing that we can do is we can do the type of Ishtadlos that he wants us to do. That's our contribution. And if not, it's for sure and possibly Kshira. And the same thing I say to all those people with the best intentions. They're doing, they're spreading Torah, they're spreading Kira. Who are you? Who are you? They're You have to ask if Hashem wants the Torah to be spread in that way. So you're Does saying that you're saying that Hashem does not want the Torah spread over the internet. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they have to ask, not de facto do things, and then find a Rosh Hashiva whose shear came online and use that as a heter. You put yourself in the driver's seat, and that is inappropriate. Stop. 
ask you not a phone call to a Rosh Hashiva who picks up the phone and you explain something to him for three minutes and he gives you an answer. Do this for real. Understand that you're out of place. You should not be making so, these so, decisions. So, so, Make sure that the Gdalim, let me just finish this thought, yeah. Yeah. Make sure that the Gdalim understand the question for real with all the ramifications and get a plaque from them. So I'm those who, and, those and who, I'm saying, so those who are using the internet for social media or using the, the for, for groups, for support groups, etc., assuming they've asked their rav, you're saying it's okay, and if they didn't, it's not okay. Is that basically the, the message? No, I didn't even say that. I want to I, I say, again, at the risk of being misunderstood, this is not about a pulpit rabbi. It's not about a rav. This is a, this is a direction the Klai Yisrael is taking, and this is not about what a rabbi of a specific shul thinks. This is about a direction of Klai Yisrael. Do we do this, or, do, or, 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 we, or we don't do this? So, so my name is Mrs. Fish, I live in Muncie, and I have severe, I have lupus. I don't know what's on the disease, and there's a lupus support group on social media. Am I allowed to take part in it or not? See, now we're getting to a very different question, and thank you for bringing it up. Until now, we discussed the people who are doing this. They are leading Klal Yisrael to go online. They're creating the support groups. If you are a person who is in that situation, yes, you can ask your Rav, because you're not changing Klal Yisrael. You're not taking the initiative. So I'm allowed to be on social media. They could eat on Yom Kippur. Yes, for sure. It's very possible. It's very possible that her rub will tell her, this is like, this is a Bidi Evid. You could do things. Maybe you could be Michal Shabbos. Maybe you could do other things. Maybe this, is, maybe this is similar to that. I don't have a problem with that. What you as a Yachid do, you should ask your rub. Your rub is your Torah authority, and you should ask your rub. I'm talking about the people who are leading this charge, the people who are saying, as you said at the beginning, the Internet is here to stay. Let's use it as a force for good. I'm saying that is not sanctioned by Gedele Yisrael. They weren't properly consulted, and they are leading Klai Yisrael down a so who who, not, who are the Gedali Yisrael who are appointing on this? Who's appointing? Just give us a few names. We have thousands. Of, who's who could they call? Who's appointing on this today? They could call Shmuel Kamenetsky. They could call Malkiel Cutler. They could call the Hill of David. They could call whoever go through the go the call the Vialopolarov. I mean, Malkiel Cutler is against vac- is against vaccines. You're aware, right? I'm aware of that, but just because a Godel has one opinion which you don't agree with and you consider ludicrous, obviously doesn't mean that the person is not a Godel. Please. No, 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 I'm not. I'm just saying. In, in the... My point is, is that it, this, this, there's so much, there's so much beyond an opinion here. There's so much personal that goes into such a decision. So you know, I'm using that as, a, as an example. I would, I would ask myself. Rebbevin again at the at the at the risk of making myself unpopular, I would ask my I would be asking myself the opposite question. I would be asking okay. myself that if a person who is so bright and so successful and so learned has that opinion, is it as totally crazy as I think it is? What vaccines you mean? Again, just the fact. Yes, uh, you know I do vaccinate my children for sake of fair fair disclosure. But but I'm but I, but I'm but I'm saying to me the point is the point is opposite. When you hear that a great doctor, somebody who's 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 one of the, one of the greatest names, is holding a very unpopular opinion, right? It's a, it, it 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 behooves us to think that maybe there's something more to that opinion than we believe. That's so all. So we should so That's we should go against the right. So I'm saying so we should consider not getting vaccinated because of that. No, not at all. I said we should we shouldn't use that as a raya that that person every other opinion that that person holds. No, no, that's one thing you said. But you, no, but the time, you also said we, we should, should use that as a raya, Rabbi David, that maybe that maybe we're a little narrow-minded 
and we just look at what everybody's doing, and we're not bright enough to consider the other side. Okay. That's all. I believe that we should do what the right say. We so, should, and I do. I don't follow the Das Yochid, but if there is a Das Yochid, if somebody's qualified to have an opinion, David, let's put it this way. We don't get any great points for saying you need to take a COVID vaccine. It doesn't make us very bright. We're just going with the flow, and by the way, we don't get great points for say, saying that we should take Torah on the internet, and we should be using social media no, for no. Kirov. Again, that's what every, 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 every guy should kid understands that. Go where the success is. There's nothing. There's nothing smart about so, that. Nahemi, let's go back to. So let's yeah. go back to social media. That was our question. Sure. We said, on one hand, you have the Chabad that use it for chinuch. You have the people who use it for treatments. You have the people who are saying that it's it's who are trying to get six-year-olds to use it. So my right. takeaway from speaking to you is, you have to ask your rav on your particular situation. Is that right? That's number one. Yes. Yes, as in all other areas of life, so you could and should ask your about, your about your particular situation. Number two, the more important takeaway as far as I'm concerned, is that the fact that we have as a Tzibur, to whatever extent, bought into this is unsanctioned, it's erroneous, and we're going to pay a very big price. Uh, we are paying a really horrible, horrible price. I mean, I have Rabbeim online saying the most astonishing things about boys today. I don't know about girls, but, you know, we, we are paying a horrible price. And, and, and okay, I, I don't know. about this? Who sat in the driver's seat? Can I tell you that speaking, again, to tens of thousands of young ladies, one of the prime reasons that a nice from girl who would not be on the internet. Now, I'm aware that there are nice from people who allow their kids to go on the internet. That's not a discussion now, but there are many families who would rather their children do not go on the internet. They feel that they should first be introduced to it when they're old enough and mature enough to deal with it properly. One of the first reasons why many hundreds of those girls go online is to go on Torah anytime. I get this question all the time from girls. I just want to go on Torah anytime. Do you think it stops this Torah anytime? If I put a vending machine in a parking lot which has Coke and Bisley and cigarettes. And I say, well, little kids shouldn't use the cigarettes. Is that responsible? So, so, so you are against the use of Torah anytime. I am representing Das Torah again. I don't, have, I don't have an opinion. I am representing Das Torah and saying that they weren't properly consulted before it went. So I have a Should question. Use it or not? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Let me finish. Should yeah. people use it or not is a, for, for, is a personal question. So, they can ask the I will tell you that most people, one second, just because this is crucial, yeah. most Rabbanim and Gedalim are not against the use of it once it's online. They are not. They are not, for the record. I'm not saying that people should not go on Torah anytime. It's there. That's a whole different question. If you ask me right now if Lakewood should get another branch or its public library, if we vote about it in the, town, in the township, we're going to vote no. But if there's a public library, is it possible that sometimes four adults might go to the library for good reasons? Definitely so. Those are two very different questions. So they were saying you shouldn't create Torah anytime, but once it's there, you could use it. In general, I would say that is the, that is the most prevalent opinion. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you a question, and this was from a Rav on here on this program as we're putting it together. He said he went to Reb Chaim Kinevsky, and there was a big sign outside. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying this exactly. Nobody is allowed in if you own a, a, a smartphone. We're against smartphones, etc. Okay, he went in, he got a bracha. On the way out, after he left, he looked at his WhatsApp, and it said, here's a picture of you on his Instagram of you talking to Reb Chaim. Right? You could listen to the right. program afterwards. Rabbi Goldberg said this over. The, the, right. the Mayetes runs the Aguda, from what I understand, right? The Aguda has um, a Twitter no feed. Comments, yes. Okay, but it has, that's who they, ostensibly, they have a Twitter feed. They have everything online. Like, how do we sort of 
balance what you're saying with what the reality of what's going on by the mayetas. Still, be, it behooves us to think what is the more authentic representation of Das Torah, and anybody can figure it out when it comes to Reb Chaim and his Eniklach who are doing what they're doing. When it goes to the Mayetas, I will tell you now with Achrayas, the Mayetas was not consulted and is not aware of the fact that Aguda has a Twitter feed. I'm telling you, fact. Can I ask you a question? You're telling me that the people who are the Paiskim for the Aguda, right, do not know what every Bar Beirav knows is that they send out everything on the internet. They have a twi- They don't know it. They, they're going to hear it on this program for the first time. It's yeah. you, 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 come come on. Isn't that silly? It's like you don't know, come on me. I'm telling you facts. You're dumb so, put down the phone. So, so call up your friends in Aguda. Why don't you call? Out, tell you hello. You know all these people. You know. You know. You know Rabbi Kotler. You know the Vielapalarov. You know uh, who are, call them up and say. By the way, do you know that under your auspices with your hechsher there is a Twitter feed and a website. I just want to tell you the I want to tell you the history. The history is that Aguda, in 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 what I would consider insane mysterious nefesh, insane and in, meant in a good way, did not have a website for many years. I was present at a conversation between the Novaminsk Rebbe Zatzal and Avdol Mikhail Mikhail Ramatzio probably seven years ago, whatever, and and the Novaminsk Rebbe was fighting like a lion against all the Balabatim who wanted to have a website, and they had a conversation. It was in the summer in the in, in the camp, and and. The Novinsky said, should we still go weiter? We should have a website. And Matzio said, yes, we should go weiter. And they were not having a website. After that, about two or three years after that, um, whatever it was, the, the, the pitch to the Mertz's Daily Letter was that we need something outward facing. We can't have Trump or Biden or somebody looking up a good Israel of America online and coming up with a 404 unfound or whatever it is. That doesn't work. And on that, the Novinsky Rebbe, after fighting for years and years, saying it, exactly what you're saying, it doesn't pass. How can we, even if it's just for the Umas Island, but still, this is what we represent. At a certain point, he agreed that this is something which they should do. That was the Shaiva that was presented. That was the Heta that was given. The fact that they are on Twitter and Facebook, and that they have another website for their convention, which, so on and so forth, all of these were Shaivas which were not Presented, and you are incredulous about the fact that the that the Gedolim don't know. They don't live in that world. It's not part of the. It's not part of the. So why don't you tell asked, them? Never consulted. Why doesn't because some... I have other things to tell them? Because the Gedolim Yisrael is a great talking point for the show over here, but it's not the most important thing that I'm dealing with. I have a lot of things to talk to them about. A lot of things that we're worried about. Very confused and mixed up, and we have hundreds of examples of things which 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 need to be fixed. And Aguda is one amongst them. But it's not one amongst them. It represents. It's the voice. It's the it's the microphone for for, for the Haredi world. Right. So it's, I just find it. I just find it to me. I find it like it's 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 certainly a ha'ara that the voice the vo- the microphone for the Haredi world is on one hand announcing the need of the practical use for internet and Twitter and recognizing that it's a lifeline for. Uh, you know, business survival for any anybody who's outwardly facing, right? While at the same time, tag, which is the the, the microphone for the gedolim as to how we're supposed to be acting, is vehemently opposed to it. And and right. how like when 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 no, when, when the two microphones can't agree, it just shows how complex and confusing the situation is. Certainly, to your average uh, balabas. Or, or, or even Ben Tyra, because he's up in Tyra on both sides. With, he's right. both been a Tyra. Now, good and the tag are both been a Tyra. Right. 
Right. But here's what we need to do. You're 100% right. It is complex. It is com- confusing. It's not fair. I want to tell you something. Rabbi Goldberg's experience, I, I, I give workshops to parents or d- speeches to parents. I have a, a PowerPoint presentation. One of the slides which I show is Rabbi Goldberg's experience. I show, I have a slide which shows the door to Rabbi Kanievsky's home saying that it's gathered to walk in with a, with, a, with a smartphone. And I then have a video of one of his, Enikloch or Bnei Bayi, standing in front of his face, videoing him with a smartphone. I'm fully aware of that. And what I try, the point that I try to make to the parents is exactly your point, and we're in full agreement here, is that it's very confusing. And therefore, we have to be sympathetic to our kids who are growing up in this confusing genera- generation, and we have to give them very good chinuch in order to uh, how to deal with this. But here's the bottom line, Rib David, for you, for you and me, two lay people who are, who are looking at this. We're not gedolim. Our job is to try to figure out what is a more authentic representation of that story. There's an organization, by the way, my organization, we put filters on people's devices. We do. We, we help people have smartphones. Yeah. We help people go on yeah. websites. We help yeah. people. So we're not, we're not here saying, though. So we're here. We have no negis, so to speak. I don't care if people, use, if people use social media or not. We're telling you that the das of G'dayli Yisrael is not to use it. Then you have on the other side, you have a good Yisrael of America, and you say, but the Askanim and Aguda, they're using it, so what? So obviously what? When the G'dayli no, come out and no, the No, no, no. The Aguda Yisrael of America is the microphone for the G'dayli. It, it starts with the Mayetzes. It's That's what it's supposed to be. They sit, they make the rules. It goes through the Aguda, down hall of the Aguda. So we're getting a message from the microphone that it's permissible Right? And right. that's. And from the other microphone, you get the, a message that's not permissible. You right. have to figure out which is a more authentic microphone. That's no. all. Is it? No, that's so, what you have to figure out. Is so there an organization I, which is here, which is. Listen, we do one thing. Okay. On digital technology. Aguda does a thousand things. Amongst them, they have a Twitter feed. You have to decide which is probably the more legitimate microphone in this confusing state. I would say that instead of Hashlech Yahab Hashem, I think it's a parent's job to, to dig in to recognize how dangerous this is, to speak to parents or to listen. It's not that hard to find of the, the Rabbim Chalolim Hipila and to stop relying on other people because the messages are very confusing. And just like if, God forbid, your kid was sick, you wouldn't say, what, what is this one saying? No, it's, you would dig into yourself. I think that it's incumbent on each one of us to take responsibility for our children. Rabbi Nechemi, you're doing fabulous work. Thank you very much for your fabulous work. You're, sa- you're sailing a ship in a deep fog. You're doing a great job of it. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much, David. A pleasure. Don't Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joining us from Chicago is Rabbi Henech Platnik, a famed educator, 30 years in Chinuch, frequent writer for the Mishpacha, other magazines, speaks around the country on Chinuch. Welcome, Rabbi Henech. Thank you very much, David. So here's a question. Um, how do you balance trust versus control when it comes to our children and the Internet? That's a great question. Um, before I answer the question, I want to tell you a conversation that I had just this afternoon with my Bachman. I told them that Rebbe is going to be on the air in the topic of Internet, technology, etc., etc. And I asked the Bachman, do you have any fresh ideas, fresh advice? This topic has been gone over so many times. Give me something new other than, well, if you have filters, then everything is fine. 
and everybody started bursting out in laughter, like it was the greatest joke that I ever told. And they all started looking in the direction of one bugger, because he's the one who knows how to undo every filter. And they said, Rebbe, it's not Negea with the filters, so let's not go there. <laughs> he's a regular mainstream yeshiva light that... Um, they're a step ahead of us. You know, the like the Taliban with terrorism, the Bacham are always a step ahead of the yeshiva. So even though I, Baruch Hashem, don't have the kind of boys I would hope that would get lost in this kind of stuff, but we have to know that when you talk about control, when we think we have control, we might not really have any control at all. So we have to be very, very on top of what you're calling control. So the truth of the matter is like this. When it comes with dealing with teenage children, or even younger than teenage children, or even Rachmanulitzlan spouses that have a tendency to fall into the trap that Internet can bring, there has to be some kind of a sense of balance. If, let's say, for example, a family needs to have Internet for whatever reason, the wife has a business, or the husband has a business, or there could be a thousand reasons why they have to have Internet. Nothing should be done to Chadre Chadarim. Everything has to be in a place where there is no Yichud. You know, it's well known, the Maiser of Yisrael Salante, he went to somebody's house to collect money, and this Gavir had to excuse himself for a few minutes, and Yisrael was left in the room, and then Yisrael jumped out the window. And when the Gavir walked back into the room, he thought Yisrael was Meshuggah. He asked him, why'd you jump out the window? He said, because you left a stack of money on the table before you walked out. And if there's a problem of Yichud, with Arias, the Gemara says, Reuben begezel and Arias. More people are tested with gezel and fail than in Arias. So I made a kalvachaymer. If you can't have yichud when it comes to Arias, you can't have yichud when it comes to being alone with someone else's money in a room. So I had no choice but to jump out the window. So when we're talking about a computer and internet access and all the things that come along with it, yes, there is a big sakana of yichud when someone is alone and has no accountability. But mitzah cheni, some people do have to function. So there is a place to have have a happy medium depending upon a person's individual situation. But you have to set yourself up for success and not do it in a way where Chas Shalom an assignment is going to come your way that people are not going to be able to pass. And Wait, so let me, so let me just go, so what about iPhones, Rabbi Potnik? All right, so if you have an iPhone, so what, what we understand is that things can be um, either tagged. We have a very, very active tag in our city in Chicago, Baruch Hashem, which is very, very busy, and they've done a lot of tremendous work. They even had a, a two very, very popular asifas to be Mechazek the Indian, which really, really made a big change in a lot of people's lives. People go to get their phones tagged. I have a chaver who used to daven together with me in Shul. He called me up recently if I would be his, his monitor, his shoymer in the web chaver program, however that works exactly. He tried to describe it to me. But like this, I know everywhere this guy is going. He's an Erlicha person. And these things work. I reach out to him from time to time, and I ask him, so how is it mitzad you? Now that you reached out to me, so I don't see anything nefarious going on. Has it changed your life at all? And he says, it certainly has, because there are certain sites that you wouldn't know exactly what they are. You might be choshed me that I'm doing something that's improper, and I don't even go there anymore. And it also saves me a lot of time. The guy's making siyumim on Tanakh instead. So it really is made a great change in this person's life. So apparently there are things out there, and again, I'm not a big bucky in all the different filters, but there are programs, there is encouragement for people to do the right thing when it comes to protection, protection from themselves and protection from whatever else is coming in over their phone. These things do exist, and I think it's worth it to play up the successes of these programs instead of just feeling that we're always in a deep dive. And we're going but Reb Henoch right Rep Rep says a lot of people have a feeling of like, like you know, somebody's watching me. Everything I do, it's like it's it's. It would be like 
a lot of people would consider like a real invasion of their privacy. It's like having like, you know, you know, like a window into your room. Like it, 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 it's wherever I go, somebody's tracking everything I do and what I'm seeing and what I'm talking to. It's, it's, this is what I'm talking about, control versus trust. Don't you think a lot of people would find it offensive? I know some people do find it offensive, and that's why they don't want any part of it. So you know, at the end of the day, we're going to have to have a certain amount of belief that people are going to do the right thing. And we're going to have to empower people to let them know that we believe they're doing the right thing. Now, depending upon who the person is, certain things will fly and certain things will not fly. Um, I know some people that have mentors, whether it's their love or a, or a good friend, and they'll schedule with them to talk just once a week, just to speak over. Not that the guy's looking at every single thing they do, but just to give a, a checkup, like Lazlo, you go to the doctor to see how your blood pressure is. Once a week, I have a, someone that does this with me as well. We meet every, every so often just to talk over where he's been, what kind of nasiyanis have you had, and this person is much more comfortable with that. To him, it works. So everybody has their own comfort zone, their own comfort level. Um, but one thing I, I have seen, though, when it comes to a house computer, that when people leave it in a public place, whether it's a dining room or an office with the door open, even though they're not being monitored every second, but they know somebody can come in as a mirsis, and that seems to work just fine for a lot of people as well. So it depends on the individual. Some people are more sensitive than others, but for some people, this other plan of consultation via mall once a week, once every few weeks. For some people, that works too. And I've seen Hatzlacha with both, and I have some people that have an aversion to both. So it's got to be individualized. There's no one-size-fits-all. It's not like buying a pair of socks or slippers, but a person has to know what works for him. And it's Kadai to talk it over with someone who he trusts to make sure that he's doing the right thing that's appropriate for him. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tell you a beautiful story. I had a bucher two years ago in my shear. He was uh, schlepping along. I can't say he was being mitzai, and he was from out of town. And he had one of those kinds of phones. And he knew he, didn't, he shouldn't have it. And he was struggling with it. And I tried to be machazik him in, in, a, in a positive way. And then one day, he comes over to me with this mangled telephone. And he said, Rebbe, I took a hammer, and I smashed it to bits, because I knew the only way I'm going to stop this is if I don't have it. Mom's like, Terach, Avram Avinu, with the Avedazars. And he gave me this mangled phone. He went into a corner. And he cried for 10, 15 minutes over the Avelus, over his telephone. After that day, there was such an incredible change in this bachar. Today he's from the Mitzvah in the yeshiva. And this was without any coercion. I didn't have to sit and yell at him, scream at him. We just gave him a good, positive feeling about how life is good without, without the stare, without the diversion, how much better you'll feel about yourself. And it made a big difference. So sometimes there are happy stories as well. Not every story is a disaster. And again, every mindset has to put in place what works for them. Can I just share with you a vort? Yes, absolutely. Yes. There's an Arachayim HaKadosh in Parshas Lech Lecha, which I think is, is imperative for parents to see. It's in Perek Yud Zayin, Pasuk Yud Ches, when Avram Avinu was told he's going to have a son Yitzchak. So his reaction was, Lu Yishmoel Yich Yelefanecha. And the Rechaim HaKadosh said that Avram Avinu was saying a tefillah, that Yishmael should go b'tzedek, l'fnei Hashem, he should go in the right way. And he says, Yichyeh l'fnecha means he should be a tzedek, because tzedekim akruyim chayim, 
Fanecha, based on the he wants Ishmael to be a Dovuk Tashem. And he says the reason why Avram Avinu needed this tefillah was because he saw in him Simon and Loitoizen. He already saw bad signs in Ishmael. And Avram Avinu asked, Sha'al Kopanim Loitiyer Rishas Harosha Ne'elemes Me'enayatadik. All I'm asking is that whatever Ishmael does shouldn't be behind my back. I should know what he's doing. Well, my God, but I certainly that's my own child. This is Avram Avinu's soul bakasha to the Rebbeinu Shleilam. Please, I know I have your smile. I got somebody on my hand. This guy is a work in progress. But please, at least let me know what he's doing. If I know what he's doing, I can address it. This is what Avram Avinu wants. And this is important. We have to know what the kids are doing. And you should know that a lot of boys, and I'm sure girls, is the same thing. They don't want to drown into this sea of smuts and taiva and whatever else comes along with the allure of the internet. They don't mind having somebody who's going to help them and coach them and mentor them. We just have to set them up for success and make sure that we have some communication with them that we shouldn't fall into that trap that what they're doing is nailam. It's something that we don't see and something that we don't know. And if we do see and we do know and we have lines of communication with them and don't make them feel like some kind of filthy piece of garbage when they're nixel and ahead, like human tithes can bring a person to and we can talk to them, then they won't be so nailam menu as they otherwise would be. So there's a debate among mechanchem. Some say inoculate and some say isolate. Some say, you know, in this world, kids are going to go out to work. It's like they're going to work on the Internet. I mean, they're going to sit in front of a computer. They're going to be out of mm-hmm. So let's teach them, you know, be honest, be open. And yes, they do could have access, but we're going to teach them how to use it responsibly, etc. And some say, listen, that day may come. But until that day comes... Absolutely, you know, isolate, keep him away as long as you can. If a guy's in base measures till he's 25, what does he need it for? Stay away. Which of the two, which of these two mahalchim do you, uh, do you, um... I look at it as a necessary evil, but you don't have to bring the evil upon any earlier than you have to. In other words, Kozman, you can keep somebody, that's great. If he's going to need it down the road, he might need it down the road. But what do you have to give him more than he needs at this point in life? He'll get so much more chizok. His neshama will be so much stronger. It's like a reservoir of energy. If he can build up more chizok now in Tyre and Yerushalayim, it'll get him a lot further down the road. You know, that being said, you just have to know that in general, whenever we, we make broad statements or we, we make broad policies, there are always going to be exceptions to every policy and there's going to be exceptions to everything that we want to do. And there's a woman who calls me all the time with Shilas. And very often it's a kitchen Shiloh and I'll tell her it depends. So one time she called me up with a Shiloh and I said, well, it depends. So she asked me, how come every time I ask you a question, you tell me it depends? So I told her because it depends <laughs> what yeah. kind of a child it is. <laughs> so there are a lot of depends. There are a lot of yoytzim in haklau. So yes, even though bederech klau, we certainly would want to shield them as much as we can. Sometimes there might be an exception for, for a reason or two. But we have to always be aware that even though the ideal, I believe, is to try to keep them as strong and mechuzik and you want to use the word Nucky Vitar as long as we can. We don't need to expose them to things that at an early age they may need to. I don't see there's no, there's no mitzvah to practice being exposed to, to schmutz. I'm not familiar with any such mitzvah. But nevertheless, when that time does come, we have to realize that if someone is going to be in a position where they have to go out of, let's say, what we would call the accepted norm, we have to understand that sometimes it depends. And sometimes there are exceptions. I know of a young of one woman, she had been teaching for many years, and she was making a career change. And she was going to have to go to a community college to brush up on some skills. And her husband 
was a Talmud of my Rebbe, Rebellious Fay, had asked him, this goes back a long time before you could go to college in your living room. But in those days, colleges were being spoke about in the, in the most distasteful terms. And Rosh Hashivas were talking about the Sakana going to college, and this woman's husband called rebellion. He said, I wasn't talking about your wife. Now, we have to realize that, yes, there's sometimes a clown a general clout, a general assumption. But every rule is going to have exceptions. And we have to know on a one-on-one -on -one basis, sometimes even within that clout, which we want to create a certain attitude and a certain ideal, which is certainly what the Russian Yeshiva were trying to promote then. But yes, you have to be sensitive and realize sometimes there are going to be exceptions as well. And as I tell this lady, it depends. Do you feel that, you know, boys here in Yeshiva, and they should, and like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous, the Internet. And yet, you know, organizations, Aguda, you know, is against the Internet. I had on a Rav who said to me, he said that um, by Rav Chaim Kinevsky, there's a big sign outside, no, no, no cell phone, nobody with any Internet is allowed in. Nobody with an iPhone is allowed in. And he said, when you leave the room, you get on I, your iPhone on WhatsApp a picture of you talking to Rav Chaim. I can't. <laughs> Has anybody like said, hey, you know, you know, it's like the father in Shul who says to his, his who's talking the whole davening, and when his son talks, he gives him a smack in the face. Like, has anybody pointed out this rather glaring inconsistency? I have, but I don't have that big of an audience except your podcast. I think it's insane because you should know children can pick up hypocrisy with such a sensitivity we'd be surprised at how perceptive they are and how much they have good conscience with no truth and down to the smallest, smallest percentage. Because to them, they're always looking for people to be Eisgehalten, for sure. And anything that smacks from hypocrisy, of course they're going to pick up on that. You know, it's a terrible mistake. And the truth is that yeshivas are always trying to explain or answer why they have to use the internet because they have no choice. If you want to survive, you have to use the internet for your office work, etc., etc. Yet, you know, and you have to make it very clear if you can explain it in a way that they're going to understand this. You have to make it very clear to them why this is different and good luck to you if, if you can do that. But I don't disagree with you at all. Children are very, very easy detectors of hypocrisy. I'll tell you a funny thing. This past summer, um, we, we went to a museum where they make baseball bats, the Louisville Slugger Museum in Louisville. So the lady that was giving the tour told me that the great so Ted Williams he used to have the baseball bats made in this factory, and they gave him his order of bats, and he gave it back right away. He said, this is no good, because the handle all the way by the bottom of the knob is off 0.5 of one hundredth of an inch. It's not the same. I can't use it. He, wow. could realize, he could realize the difference. Why? Because that's his life. His life is swinging a bat. That's the difference between hitting a home run and striking out if you have a good comfort level with the bat. Lahavdil, when it comes to little nuances, we'll be shocked at how little bit it is that it takes to be sensitive to something, to say, wait a minute, this is Eisgehalten. It's not Eisgehalten. People are very, very perceptive. If it matters to you, you're very, very perceptive. And if children are always looking to see if their teachers or their parents are Eisgehalten, they are the Ted Williams of the iPhone, iPhone, in the Internet world, because they, they know even the smallest sensitivity of inconsistency. Henoch, thank you very much. That was a very powerful message. Thank you. Bye-bye. Joining us from New York is Shimon Kolyakov, who is the co-founder of Torah Anytime. Welcome, Rabbi Shimon. Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Good evening. 
tell us, can you give us a, a, a thumb scale of how you founded Torah Anytime and what, what its scale is today? Sure, sure. First of all, thank you very much, Rabbi David, for the opportunity uh, to, speak, uh, to speak with you and to your audience. So, uh, how Torah Time started, so it's, uh, it's a story, we'll try to make it as short as possible. Uh, I come from a country called Uzbekistan in a city called Tashkent. We immigrated to this country when I was a child. Our parents, uh, my family, unfortunately, was not religious or observant. We knew we were Jewish, but that was just about it. And uh, growing up, I went to public school. And, um, and uh, in, in, in public school, second, third grade, fourth grade, there was an organization called JEP, Jewish Education Program, that pulled ki Jewish kids out of public school uh, for one hour a week and gave them a Jewish education. And uh, I went to this program. I remember really liking it, enjoying it, looking forward to it. And the rabbis were apparently speaking to my parents behind the scenes. And they finally, my parents agreed in the middle of the fourth grade in 1988 to put me into uh, a Kiru of yeshiva led by Rabbi Zalman Deutscher called Yeshiva Institute, which to this day still exists, uh, Baruch Hashem. So I went there for a few years, really enjoyed it, and um, a lot of seeds were being planted about Judaism, Yiddishkeit with me. Uh, but I, I, made, uh, I made a wrong decision when I went back to high school. I actually went back to a, 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 a public high school called Forest Hills High School in Queens. And, um, and I was there. Now Rabbi Zalman Deutscher, God bless him, he tried everything possible to keep me in the yeshiva. Uh, but I just didn't want to hear it. And, uh, and uh, so something interesting happened, though, at that time. Uh, a lot of those seeds that were being planted for the four years I was in Yeshiva Institute began to blossom, and uh, next thing I know, it I was beginning to do kiru with the, with, the, with a lot of the Jewish public school kids. Forest Hills High School uh, had thousands of uh, Bukharian kids uh, with uh, no uh, background in Judaism, and I had a little bit. I had a little bit from this Yeshiva. I started doing kiru, um, and uh, the first person I was uh, was my younger brother Ruben. Uh, my at the time, uh, Baruch Hashem, my whole family now is from and uh, Shomer Torah and Gok. They really didn't appreciate uh, a lot of the Judaism I was bringing home during uh, the, the years I was going to that yeshiva. So they didn't want to let my brother go to any yeshiva. He never went to yeshiva in a day of his life, unfortunately. But I was doing a lot of kiruv with him, and we were both on a mission. We started doing kiruv together, and uh, we we got together about 15, 20 kids, uh, teenagers whose parents were going to work on Shabbos, and they wanted to keep Shabbat like we did. Uh, we were also, we were just all evolving, becoming more religious little by little. So we used to have incredible uh, Shabbos together, just, uh, just the kids, just these uh, young guys, doing whatever we knew how to do, going to shul, listening to a lecture, uh, whatever we could do, just uh, with each other. It was like a little family. And uh, little by little, th there was more people in the community doing Kiru with me as well, getting me into the lectures. And I remember one time going to a lecture I was invited to and hearing a speaker. I don't remember if it was Rabbi Label Lamb and Rabbi, or Rabbi Jonathan Rietti, but it was uh, one of those rabbis. It was my first lecture I really experienced. And I was blown away by this lecture. I said to myself, wow, this is really good information. I was already like a teenager at the time. And, next, and then they invited me again. They said, listen, this time we have Chinese food. This time was pizza. Next week will be Chinese food. Come on over. So I, I went over again. And uh, one thing led to another. I was going every week, and I got to the point where I fell so in love with these lectures, and it was having such an impact on, on my life that I said, you know what, i got to record this. Uh, you know, I don't know why I was recording it. There was no website at the time. There was nothing. I was just recording it, 
And, uh, and sometimes people used to ask me, why are you recording these lectures? I'm like, I don't know why. This is too valuable not to capture. This is amazing information. So they, they used to joke with me, well, listen, while you're thinking about why you want to record this, can you do me a favor? Can you make me a few copies? So I said, okay, no problem. So I started making copies of the audio uh, on CD. And I started making a lot of copies, giving them out to a lot of people who wanted to get those copies. And a few years later, a few years went by, again, becoming stronger, you know, in, in Judaism. Uh, I, I, my parents got me a video camera as a gift. This is when I just got married already. It was in my early 20s at this point. And I said, you know what? I have all these recordings. We're doing so much Kiro. Everything is going great. Maybe I can start making DVDs. So I started making DVDs, and they were going like hotcakes. People wanted to watch the video. And, and at that time, the Internet was getting a little more and more popular. This is the early 2000, like 2002, 2003. And then people started telling me, why don't you put it on the Internet? I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. I know nothing about that. So, so finally, my younger brother, Ruben, God bless him. Shimon, you know, I, I took some classes. I think we could put together a little website. I know we have this idea of putting it on the Internet. Let's make it happen. And in 2006, that's when Torah Anytime was officially born, in 2006. It was actually originally called kolyakov.org. Uh, we, we were just a play on words from our last name, Kolyakov. But then after a few months, we wanted to make it a little more, something a little more universal. We, we found Baruch Hashem Torah Anytime that was available. And, uh, and we saw that our first month, we had about 50 hits on the website. We were very happy. Wow, 50 hits. We were recording about two, three lectures a week at the time, some local rabbis in Queens area. And then the following month, it was uh, over 600 hits. Uh, and then the third month, it was over 1,000 hits. And I'm like, where is all this coming from? And we see that one person tells another person tells another person. This is all in the late 2006. And long story short, since then, Baruch Hashem, 16 years later, we absolutely cannot believe what is the chut Hashem gave us. Uh, to run this massive organization. It's become a worldwide phenomenon for any time. Uh, we hit over, in 2020, we hit over a million users for the first time ever. And um, there's a lot how more... How many, story, how many hits do you get a month? Sure. How many hits do you get right. a month? Uh, right now, we're getting about twenty five to 30,000 visits a day. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, so, so, Baruch Hashem, we have the website, which is over 150,000 shirim are available right now. We're recording about 600, 700 shirim a week from all over the world in over 10 languages on all levels for anyone. Uh, and, we, of course, we have the app as well for the people that have smartphones. We, for the past two years, we've been working on a brand-new app uh, uh, because the old app was already becoming obsolete. Technology is always changing. And Baruch Hashem, after two years of working on it with a lot of challenges, two months ago we finally released it, and it's taking the world by storm. We're getting tens of thousands of downloads and so many five-star reviews, and so many people are so happy that finally there's an updated app for Torah anytime. I encourage everyone who has a smartphone, uh, go to the App Store or, or Android Play Store and get the app. And we always tell people, please don't get a smartphone for Torah anytime. That's not the whole point here. We have a hotline as well where people can dial in and they could listen to all lectures from a regular phone. And we encourage people to do that if they have one of those uh, uh, flip phones. So what are your opinions? What's, what's your feeling about social media? Um, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what anyone's opinion is. The reality is that it's here, and uh, it's not going anywhere, and uh, it's a very tough fight. You know, and our, our philosophy is you fight fire with fire. We have many services within the world of Torah anytime, whether it's uh, the Daily Dose, which is a WhatsApp broadcast, whether it's the app or the website. 
and we figure that every minute someone is on a on Torah Anytime service on a, one of our websites, it's one less minute there, you know, who knows where doing who knows what. So, you know, I always tell people when they tell me they, have a, they don't have a smartphone or they don't have WhatsApp or they don't have social media, I say, please give me a bracha. That's wonderful. That's great. But if someone happens to have it anyway, this is our philosophy, if someone happens to have it anyway, let them at least use it for something good. Because you think it's... It sounds to me like you think it's that as as a whole, it's not a good thing. In general, it's it's negative. But if you if you have to have it, let's give it let's give you good options. Right, right. Yeah, I, I wish I didn't have to have it personally. Would you give your children? Would you? Would do your children have iPhones? No, no. I mean, we're not at all. I, I, to to give a kid a to give a child an iPhone. I mean, I'm not here to judge anyone. You know, there's different situations for everyone. But uh, unless it's something that's crucial or needed for, you know, that it's a must for whatever that reason is, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine what that could be. But uh, that just doesn't register with me. Believe it or not, we're really not so much for Internet because it's, you know, again, we're not, we, we, we have to be realistic that it's here to stay. And people have it and it's not going anywhere. And that's one of the driving forces of, of why we do what we do with Torah Anytime. Just try to fight fire with fire. And how many different Rabbanim do you have on Torah Anytime? We have about 600 regulars who give a shirim either weekly Jeez. or monthly or bi-weekly or even daily. And then we have many guest speakers as well um, who um, just come on occasionally. Maybe they speak for an organization. Uh, we also do a lot of convention recordings. Like, for example, the Goodness coming up, Shabbos Karasuni was a few weeks ago, uh, and there's many other organizations that have uh, Project Inspire. So we've become the go-to organization for, like, live streaming and the convention recording, and that's also a very exciting part of this as well. That's amazing. That's a lot of downloads. Um, it's almost oh, yeah. 800,000 a month. We get around 100,000 a month, and I thought that was a lot, but 800,000 is a lot more. Well, Shimon, this was fabulous, and thank you very much for your time, and that's continued Hatzlach and Harbatis Hatayra. I mean, thank you.